I mean, I think that at the end of the day, we have to recognize that we are part of a very interconnected world at this point. And the actions that we make individually and the actions that we make collectively have massive impact on our own lives, on the economy, on the environment, and people all over the world. All right, paleo hackers, it is Thursday. That means time for our little show. How you doing? I'm Clark, host of the Paleo X podcast, and it's beautiful and sunny in Seattle, Washington. That means I got outside today to talk to my next guest, Gunnar Lovelace, coming on to talk about being the CEO of Thrive Market, which is a cool company that offers all the major uh, healthy organic foods at 25 to 50% off retail price. They've sponsored our show before, and we go into it in this episode about how to grow your company from 10 employees to over 500 in one year without losing your mind, the future of food, where this whole Whole Foods um, revolution is heading, what's it going to be like 20 years from now, um, are we going to use AI foods or, or, or something more crazy, why at the crux of this real food revolution it lies a distribution problem not a production problem. Real cool conversation about that. And then, of course, we got simple steps each and every one of us can take at home um, to reduce our carbon footprint and save the planet one meal at a time. Paleohacks.com, of course, the provider of this show. Head on over there and look at our archives. All our previous podcasts are up there 100% for free. And we're doing video shows as well, guys. Um, So if you haven't been on YouTube, search Paleo Hacks on YouTube, and you'll see our pretty faces having a cool conversation. Transcripts over there as well. ClarkDanger.com is where you can find me. Over there, I have a free ebook, The 11 Questions Change Your Life. 100% free, best 11 questions you can ever ask yourself in one short ebook. Put in your email, get it right now, and more importantly, use it. All right, that's enough blabbering this afternoon. You ready for the next show? I am ready for you to hear it. Let's go hear what my man Gunnar Lovelace has to say. He is a serial entrepreneur whose ventures center around social change, co-founder and co-CEO of Thrive Market, a membership-based site that has just exploded over the past year really. They got over 4,000 products, 25 to 50% off retail price shipped anywhere in the US for free. Here today with me is the very fashionable Gunnar Lovelace. Thanks for coming on, man. That's quite an intro. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. I hope I can live up to it. I know. I'm trying to make these like the big wrestler intros with the fireworks in the background. Yeah, yeah. You've got this beautiful natural background, so I, I, you're getting close. Seattle sun, man. You you take the three days a year when it's sunny and not pouring down rain that you can get, and you uh, right. cling right. on to those. So last year we talked um, about sustainability and the fact that there's so many different branches of this health issue or, or health in general. You know, there's the political side, there's the environmental side, there's the um, health and wellness side, there's the fitness side, and I, I want to bring you back on because I loved that what I got from you, Gunnar, was that your mission around health and wellness wasn't the six-pack abs or the Instagram photos uh, flexing in the mirror, but it was, it was the deeper one of, of how can we do this differently. 
And I really love that with Thrive Market and what you're centered on. Um, it's really important. So thanks for coming back yeah. on, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's such a such an important topic. Uh, and uh, who doesn't want their six pack abs? But uh, I, I don't have them. I, I don't. I, given that I, I work so hard, and uh, I was here at the office at five thirty this morning, and uh, probably leave at ten or eleven tonight. So it's uh, uh, unfortunately not. Not. I was doing. I was doing uh, like lunges uh, in at my standing desk in my last meeting. So I thought that was pretty good. Uh, but yeah, man, I I I, uh, I think this conversation about where we are, the state of food, uh, kind of looking at you know, where we've come from and uh, how we've evolved to this situation. Uh, I think it's, you know, there's, there's, there's a real crisis at hand in food and health on one hand. And on the other hand, there's just so much innovation going on uh, and so much transformation and hunger for change. And so I think, I think, you know, you've got both of those forces at play and, you know, this conversation is central to kind of uh, really what do we do next and, and how do we do it? Yeah, it's a crazy time we're living in, Gunnar, man. Um, you know, we got, uh, it's like the two dominant trains of thought with the health movement is one is like doom and gloom, corporations are taking over, GMOs are ridden everywhere and pesticides and it's getting worse. And the other is like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to, uh, we're going to change this. We're going to go back to roots. It's a more positive versus the pessimists. Uh, do, do you kind of see that happening? With where you're at, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, moment for sure. And I think, in general, my like general philosophy is to to really like moderate my ext- extreme views. Um, and I I think that there's like it's there's very few like absolute uh, you know like absolutes. And I think that uh, you know, look, I mean, obviously, eating like really good, simple, whole foods and less processed foods and less sugar. And like, you know, these are things that we understand. Like this is like basic stuff at this point now. Um, but it doesn't mean that there isn't like a cheat day or there isn't like a, you know, we're, we're practical human beings and we we're filled with desire and we have to learn how to live with that. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we're like, uh, basically, a, you know, an animal that's been exposed to all sorts of uh, crazy sugary sweet stuff. And uh, we're having to like deal with our, our lizard brain that fires at a very different level because it's being exposed to like this highly processed engineered uh, sugary thing that's been put in front of us. Uh, but I think, you know, look, there's so much innovation in technology, you know, we've staked a claim as a business that, you know, we don't carry any food with GMOs in it. Um, but, you know, for us, I think there's a lot of, challenges and problems with genetically engineered food in general. But like for us, the thing is that it's, we don't think it's absolutely the the wrong thing. We just think it's like, there isn't enough information about it. We don't feel like it's safe to put it out in the market. We want consumers to feel like they can come to us and trust that they're not being exposed to GMOs. And and I think the, the thing that bothers me most personally about the GMO issue is that, you know, we're engineering food crops to withstand massive systemic poisoning of uh, application of glyphosate, which is an herbicide used to kill weeds, and we spray you know 200 million pounds of this a year. Uh, you know, engineer our food crops to withstand the poisoning, so we can kill the weeds. The weeds get stronger. Uh, the the food crops, uh, you know, we have to spray more, and it creates this like uh, arms race with these super weeds. Uh, and you know, yes, our food crops withstand the glyphosate poisoning. But it, it enters into our food stream and it, it destroys topsoil and it enters into the water supply. And that's, you know, that's just insanity to me that we would be doing that systemically. So, like, that's an example of, 
a place where I'm like, I'm not emphatically against slowly and methodically and carefully studying GMOs uh, because I think, you know, maybe, maybe there is a, a, a genetically modified food crop that we can engineer that needs less water and can be produced more effectively and has more nutrition for, you know, people in poor countries. Maybe that is something that can be very helpful. I, I don't know. Uh, but I think it needs to be done very carefully, which we're not doing today. And the way that we're engineering GMO food crops, I think is just, is crazy on the production side. So that's, I think the, the, the thing is in a world of so much polarization, it's so easy for us to be like so intense about our views um, and we're passionate and we have our concerns and, and the internet, there's so much information. We don't know what's truth or what's false. And so I think, I think it's really important that we like work to moderate and understand each other in a very common sense way. Yeah. Or, or the sound bites that were all, uh, you know, myself included. I mean, on Facebook, you get these 30 second clips of like the highlight of an hour long conversation. And then we get all, either for it or against it based on 30 seconds of the hour-long conversation. But you can really, even this interview, you could take 30 seconds of it and have it say something totally different and, right. uh, and missing the whole picture. And I think what, what I was hearing with you talking about being not against GMOs, but you know, wanting the research there. And um, one thing that blew me away was when Joel Salatin, the farmer, was on here and he said that we don't have a production problem of food because if we doubled the food production today overnight, not a single other belly would get fed because half That's the right. food we produce gets thrown away. So we have a distribution issue. It's not a production yeah. issue. It's a distribution issue. And I was like, that is amazing. Yeah. I think that's true. I, and I, he also, I, I think he was oversimplifying his own message because he definitely, his whole thing is the production as well. And I, I, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's holistic, right? It's production, it's distribution, it's marketing, uh, and, and, and it's consumption. And we all have to take responsibility for the part that we're part of, uh, and be cognizant of where we're spending our money as we vote in the, in the supply chain, uh, you know, on the production side. You know, conventional agriculture and conventional meat is the largest contributor of greenhouse gases over any other industry by an order of magnitude. Like that's got to change. Like we can't do it the way we're doing it and feed seven and a half billion people without destroying the entire environment. Uh, and and the same thing to your point on the distribution side, we throw a lot of food away. Uh, on the marketing side, you know, you look at when uh, you know we started. You know, when there was uh, billions of dollars started to be spent in the '80s around selling, you know, low fat, complex carb diets. And you look at the rise in the spending of that type of message to the American consumer and how it correlates to the rise of obesity and diabetes. And they're, they're very correlated. Uh, that's the marketing side. And then on the consumption side, you know, ultimately we are responsible for ourselves and we have to gain mastery over our desires as human beings. And, uh, and, and if there's going to be a Twinkie or an Apple, uh, you know, we have to like be able to like restrain ourselves and go for the apple. So, Gunnar, when you're thinking about environmental or sustainability or production, like what we were just talking about, and I know you're right in the heart of it with Thrive Market and everything. Do you see any big myths still being out there? What do you think is the biggest myth floating on out there? I mean, I think that at the end of the day, we have to recognize that we are part of a very interconnected world at this point. And the actions that we make individually and the actions that we make collectively have massive impact on our own lives, on the economy, on the environment, and people all over the world. And so when I think about food, 
uh, you know, it's like, to me, it's critical that we think about the way we produce, distribute and market and consume the food. So on the production side, you know, conventional agriculture and, you know, factory farming of, of animals, uh, particularly is the largest contributor of greenhouse gases over an or, you know, over any other industry by an order of magnitude, uh, on the distribution side, to your point, you know, we throw away half the food that we produce on the marketing side. You know, you look at the rise of, you know, billions of dollars of CPG advertising in the eighties around selling the idea that we have, you know, a low fat complex carb diet. And you look at how it correlates to obesity and diabetes and then on the consumption side, as consumers, ultimately, you know, no matter how much anybody tries to like sell us their, you know, processed toxic, you know, toxic sugary thing, we have ultimate control over what we do. And we have to take total responsibility for ourselves. And so when there's a Twinkie in front of us or an apple in front of us, you know, we, we need to we need to be able to develop a, a level of mastery so that we go for the apple instead of the Twinkie. And, and I think it's a holistic thing. Yeah. Before the call, we were talking about how we evolved and then the agricultural revolution and kind of the direction of where we're heading. Because uh, like we were just saying in this whole call, it's a crazy world we're living in. Technology's changing everything. We got all those different components. Um, where do you see this thing heading? How are we going to be able to feed uh, the growing population of the world? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, it's to me, that's like, that's a con question that I like live with every day. And I think about it, I'm constantly adding to my thesis around it. I think, you know, just even to take a step back, it's so interesting just to kind of look at the context of where we've come from uh, and, and, and how we've arrived at the situation that we're in. You know, we, we've been on the planet for about 190,000 years as this form and this species. Uh, it seems like a long time. It's actually a very short period of time and like billions of geological Earth years. Uh, and for the majority of that time that we've been here on the planet, you know, we have been hunter-gatherers, moving from place to place, harvesting the natural fruits of the land, eating a very simple diet, which was actually very good for us physiologically, uh, we had, you know, a, a good blend of nutrients. Uh, but, you know, we had less than a billion of us pretty consistently on the planet yeah. uh, in terms of the success of our species. And it really was only with the advent of agriculture that we saw this incredible transformation take place for our species. And that's really, that's really happened in the last 5,000 years. You know, we started to produce food uh, and create an agricultural framework that caused us to move to urban environments, allowed us to be able to support much higher population densities because we could consistently produce greater scale of food in a very concentrated way. Uh, and that gave birth to the civil civilization that we enjoy and that we interact with today, whether it's our clothes, our cars, or our computers, or the problems that we face, uh, or the opportunities that we have. You know, these are all from a, like a basic fundamental architectural level. That this is empowered because we have developed an industrial agricultural process. Uh, but I think it, it, when we look at that and we think about where we've come from and where we're going, you know, for the the majority of our time here, we've been less than a billion people on the planet. And in the last 5,000 years with the advent of agriculture, we've gone from a billion to seven and a half billion with the majority of that happening in the last 75 years. You know, seventy-five years. Yeah. You go up to the World War World War Two. There were like two billion of us on the planet. And fast forward, you know, seventy years to twenty thousand and sixteen, and there's seven and a half billion of us on the planet, probably going to ten or twelve billion in the next fifteen or twenty years. And so, the the very 
innovation in agriculture that has made our species so successful is now poised to take us down on so many different vectors. And, and so it's this amazing moment where we have to radically shift the way that we are producing, distributing, and consuming food if we want to pass a world to our children and their children that's healthy and equitable and, and, a, and a great place to be. So to kind of frame it, do you think if we kept doing exactly what we're doing today in 10 years, 20 years time, we would start seeing bigger issues than we do now? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, like, you know, you look at, what would happen? you look at, you, you look at like, I mean, look, you look at like the way nature has uh, pandemics that modify population levels when they're not healthy. Uh, you look at the fact that, you know, most major ecosystems have either collapsed or on the verge of collapsing. Uh, you look at the fact that we're spending $300 billion a year fighting diabetes related illnesses, which is, you know, just one of several major lifestyle diseases, which are ravaging our populations, our communities and our economy. So, you know, we will bankrupt ourselves both uh, in terms of our physical health and yeah. well-being, the economy and the environment if we continue the way that we're going. And that that's happening very quickly. I mean, you just look at the last 20 years, what has happened with uh, obesity, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, uh, you know, these are lifestyle diseases. And, right. uh, and you know, we, the, 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 the good news is that we actually know what we need to do. Uh, we need to develop a measure of self-restraint. Uh, we need to empower ourselves with the tools and information and access. Uh, and we need to be able to eat simpler, healthier food. And just those things are going to have such a massive impact uh, on us individually and collectively in this very interconnected world that we live in. It's an interesting issue with like obesity and diabetes and change because now in the U.S., at least speaking where I've been, I've been traveling around the West Coast this year and being in kind of small towns and still seeing like gardens and still seeing co-ops where you can buy healthy food and seeing um, lots of healthier options everywhere. But that doesn't doesn't necessarily correlate with lower obesity rates or lower diabetes rates and stuff. And so I'm 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 wondering, like, even though I know it's not everywhere, but even though a majority of the U.S. you're able to get these healthier organic foods or healthier grass-fed meats or whatever, like, what the missing link is there between why more people aren't taking advantage of that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, there's clearly a proliferation. Like we now have access to these things in a way that we haven't uh, even 20 years ago. Uh, I think, though, it's still very early on. And when we think about actions, you know, for us, and there's so many different ways of thinking about these things, and there's no absolutes. Uh, but the way that we think about access and making healthy living accessible, easy and affordable to everybody, uh, we think about it across three vectors. Uh, you know, access for us is a function of price, geography and education. Can we sell previously premium products at the same price as conventional equivalents? Uh, and the answer is often yes. We sell a kind bar for the same price as a Snickers bar. We sell 70 loads of non-toxic laundry detergent for less than a big box retailer sells 70 loads of laundry detergent with hormone and endocrine disruptors. Uh, geography, you know, can people everywhere access healthy food uh, regardless of whether they're in a food desert, whether they're in a rural environment, whether they have the time, whether they don't have the uh, car, or reliable transportation. Uh, and, you know, the answer is we're working on that. We can ship healthy food at the same price as conventional equivalents to people nationally, wherever they are, uh, even if they're in a food desert uh, or they don't have a car or they don't have time. And then I think the final ingredient is education. You know, we can have all these great choices in front of us, to your point, 
And if we don't understand why it matters, uh, we will never make a choice to empower ourselves. And I think that's such a fundamental part of this. You know, one of this, one, one aspect of this is like a purely like technical supply chain issue about pricing and availability. Another is just like looking at the underlying emotional issues and empowering ourselves. Like I used to be overweight and I was very depressed. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that that's what it is for everybody, but that was what was going on for me. And, you know, food was like, and it still is, I have to like catch myself. Like, it's like, if I'm feeling stressed out or sad or upset or overwhelmed, I go to food and I put something in my mouth. And yeah. like, that's, that's like, you know, that's like a very basic like thing that, you know, we're all confronted with that in our own way. And so I think that, uh, you know, when we think about education, you know, we're thinking about how do we provide content that informs and inspires people that really inspires people to, to challenge themselves, to think about what, what actually matters to them, what makes them feel good in their bodies. Uh, and you're part of this conversation. I mean, this, this type of content, what you do, this podcast, I mean, this is part of the bleeding edge of this incredible educational content revolution that's happening and which is made possible by the internet. So I think, you know, again, as the dark is dark, the light is light. As there's so many challenges and crises, there's such an explosion of innovation. Uh, and it is these types of conversations and the burning desire that we have within us uh, and so many of us to try to like solve these problems and improve our lot as a human being that is ultimately going to get us through. But it's going to take a lot of application, work, and discipline to get it done. Like to speak on your point about the emotional component, psychological component of eating, um, I forget who I was talking to, but he was like, Clark, it's such a big issue because th if you think about it, food is the last awesome thing we have complete and utter control over as adults without judgment like you can't right. just go smoke a pack of cigarettes when you're feeling stressed without people judging you you can't just go drink alcohol without people judging you insert the blank but food you know have at it like it's totally fine if you're uh in society's eyes if you're pounding down a two liter and a bag of chips like it's okay right. um so there's a huge like emotional lever that you can just pull at any time that is, right. is a hard component of it we're also confronted with like our like pure animal physiological evolutionary process, right? Like we, again, we were not like for the majority of our time here and the majority of uh, mammals before us, you know, which we've inherited that operating system into the synthesis of our species. You know, we, we would not encounter sugar and processed food the way that we do. So like you might find like some nice fruit in the jungle or on the plains and it would be consumed very quickly and intensely and then it was gone. Um, but to have this like massively sustained availability of these things all the time, you know, we're wired physiologically to gorge on them. Uh, and that's why, you know, companies do what they do and they put a lot of sodium, a lot of, a lot of uh, sugar, uh, and they, and they, they play to, uh, our physiological wiring to create intense habit formation around it. Uh, and so I think, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's a really interesting thing. And, and, and to your point, like eating food is a very like pleasurable thing. I mean, it's like for me personally, I mean, I, I love eating food. I get a tremendous amount of pleasure when I eat food. It's like, you know, it's almost as good as sex, if not better a lot of times. So it's, you know, food, eating food is like fun. It's good. Uh, I don't think we have to give that up. Uh, we just have to be more thoughtful about it. Depends on the food you're eating. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so I'm I'm really fascinated with your opinion on where do you think 
uh, we're going to be in 20 years from now. I guess a realistic view and then an idealistic view if you want to just predict out in the future. I, I think, you know, I, I, I think we're going to do well. I think we're going to get through it. I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of disruption. Uh, I think, uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, there is a massive awakening happening. People are aware that they need to be thinking about this. Uh, there's also, uh, in parallel, a real desire for transparency and authenticity. Uh, you look at you know the types of social phenomena that have happened in this last political process, um, and you know depend. No, it doesn't even matter what your political disposition is. That, that if you just look at the way millennials and young people have been engaged. Uh, and the way that they're seeking to uh, bring meaning into their life uh, and to be part of a larger framework of uh, being part of benefit and service to something greater than our own self-interest all the time. Uh, I think there's, I think there's a, a really beautiful, like revolutionary process that's happening there. And it's happening in all of us in small and big ways uh, that I think is really positive and powerful. And I think that uh, that's going to play out um, you know, and there's going to continue to be, you know, very significant challenges, whether it's, you know, the, 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 the sustained disruption to our ecologies, you know, like where, where I live, uh, you know, I have friends that are farmers and like, they can't even grow food anymore. Like it is a major drought that has now just been going on and on and on. And they've never seen the types of conditions of the climate change that has happened. Uh, and you know, maybe the pattern will snap back in and maybe it won't. My personal sense is that there's going to be really systemic shifts to our ecology that are going to cause a lot of disruption to the, the, the natural environment and, and other living life forms and to us. And, and that's going to be painful and disruptive, uh, but ultimately it's going to force us to get more serious and focused on the task at hand, which is how do we actually create a world that is equitable for all of us? And when I mean all of us, it reflects the fact that we're part of an interconnected relationship uh, with ourselves, with each other, and with all other living life, and that we we have all of the tools for us. It is not a design problem right now. I mean, we we have solutions for every major problem that we face today, and it is it is it is truly back to the point of distribution. It is about connecting the dots between the suppliers, between the makers, between the consumers, uh, and uh, the internet is speeding that up now, and it's cutting out. So many of the entrenched interests, you know, historically we have suffered uh, under a situation where you've got intermediaries in the process that are protecting their interests and protecting the status quo. And because the internet now exists today, people can have a direct conversation with you through your podcast and they can be inspired and receive information that they would never get on a broadcast TV network because the broadcast TV network is afraid of jeopardizing their advertising from CBG companies. Yeah. And so the internet is empowering us to uh, educate and uh, live a better way. And we, we're, you know, we feel like the internet's been around a long time. It's just barely arrived. The benefits of the internet are just barely here. And the, the, the revolutionary impact it's going to have on our lives is just still barely obvious. And, and we can't even predict all the ways it's going to be good for us. Yeah, it's so true. I still get blown away every time I think about the internet and that, what is it, 90% of the data has been generated in the last two years? Right. Or like right. the whole, whole internet history, just 90% was in the last 24 months. And it gets more and more and more and more and more. So we have no clue where it's going to go. What are maybe 
one or two things that people at home right now can do to, uh, I guess, minimize their carbon footprint's a good way to say it, or to, you know, be a part of the solution instead of the problem in that 20-year time frame we're talking about? Do you have anything that comes to mind that they can start implementing or suggestions for them at home right now? I mean, like I, I can get on my soapbox all day about these things. And I think, I think there's so many different, it's such a personal thing. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, to the extent that we can uh, educate ourselves and make small choices that have big impacts in the way that we shift uh, our diets, it's, it's real. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm paleo, I eat, uh, I eat meat, um, but I, I have to, I'm really careful about where I get it. And I, I don't, I don't think we should be eating that much of it. I just don't think the planet can support like massive systemic consumption of meat at the, that the types of quantities and scales that we've been, you know, we've come to believe that we should expect as, you know, citizens. Uh, and I think that, that I think, you know, just, just, again, I'm not trying to harp on meat, but that, you know, just animal factory farming uh, is such a destructive force on the planet and uh, if we're going to eat meat, we got to make sure it's grass fed. Uh, we need to eat it in moderation. We need to, you know, understand our supply chains. Uh, you know, I, I saw uh, some stats recently. You know, it doesn't matter how many short showers or you know Priuses you drive or solar panels you have. If we're eating massive quantities of meat, it's like 10x the carbon impact on the environment than all of those things that could be done in aggregate. Yeah, uh, and that's how destructive animal factory farming is, you know, you know, Joel Salazin, you know, he shows that you can actually produce meat in a way that's ethical, that's, uh, that's, you know, really beautiful and actually acts as a, a, a carbon sequestration, you know, the way that he does mob herding practices with his animal farming, you know, it, it makes the topsoil richer and the topsoil sequesters carbon and into, into the ground. Uh, and, and so, you know, eating meat isn't inherently a bad thing, but we have to change the way that we're doing it from the conventional supply chain. Yeah. Okay. So getting off factory farming, being more conscious of where we're sourcing our meat sources from a uh, big issue. Do you have any sources or places you get your meat from that you'd recommend? You know, I, I try to just get local, you know, I try to like find, you know, and, and, and actually there's great, there are great people online now that will ship uh, grass fed. You have to watch out for the packaging because a lot of times there's like styrofoam um, and, uh, you know, it's an area that we're personally studying, you know, how can we support our community with this? Because we recognize that there isn't a really good ubiquitous solution around this. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're studying it right now. How can we ship, you know, ethically sourced, lower priced high quality, you know, grass fed and hormone free and organic meats. Uh, but I think in lieu of that, you know, I think, you know, we have to do the research. We got to search online, you know, ideally we get it from a local farmer. Um, you know, that's always the best scenario, but in a lot, for a lot of people, that's not possible. Uh, and there are, there are solutions online. So I think it's just a matter of doing the research. So talking about Thrive, then uh, your company, I know you went from what 10 employees to like 400 in a year yeah yeah we're we're uh, it's been an, it's been a wild ride i mean we're we're i did not expect it to 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 go the way that it has i mean we're 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 at uh 550 employees today wow. so it's been it's been uh uh it's a it's an incredibly humbling and exciting process uh and uh you know the truth of the matter is you know we actually need to become 
a thousand times bigger as a business if we're going to have a truly massive impact on the supply chain. Uh, and you know, I think I think we're we've got the pieces in place to really grow dramatically and support this emerging. Uh, population base that wants to vote with their dollars and wants to support conscious companies and, and wants to empower themselves with healthier food. Do you do anything since you're at the top or you're, you have a lot of bigger decisions, you know, to make at the company, do you do anything that you've implemented to like stay grounded or keep yourself sane and not lose your minds? Like, do you have any health practices? I mean, it's really simple. Like, uh, I try to get enough sleep. I try to get enough exercise. Uh, I, I avoid sugar um, unfortunately I drink more caffeine than I should because I, I get in the office super early in the morning. Uh, like a very practical thing for me is like, I'm actually, I try to be barefoot on the weekends. It's like really simple. I get really frazzled by the end of the week. I'm like completely, my nervous system is like shot. Uh, and I literally like if I can like take my shoes off for a couple of days and like go garden and move some rocks around in my garden, uh, and just like hang out outside barefoot, uh, I feel I feel more grounded. It's, it sounds crazy, but it's like it really helps me out. Couple closing questions, Gennar. Uh, you're talking to Gennar straight, you know, in college or in his twenties or early thirties. What advice do you give him just starting out? Um, what? Oh, so, so, sorry. Maybe maybe frame that up again because I, I got I got a little stumped on that one. Yeah, no worries. So what? So someone who's out there listening right now in their 20s or 30s, what are some, like, what's a piece of advice you wish you knew back then or some wisdom or some insights you got now? I would say follow your dreams. Absolutely follow your dreams completely and courageously. Uh, and to me, you know, one of my teachers gave a great, uh, a great insight on courage. Uh, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. It is the willingness to push on and persevere in spite of the presence of fear. Uh, and I think, you know, this is a world of so much change. Just because people say you can't do it or you shouldn't do it doesn't mean that that's right. If you believe in it, if you feel it's right in your heart uh, and you feel like it's something that you absolutely want to do, then you should, be, you should be courageously willing to step into it, to fall down, to pick yourself up over and over again, to persevere towards that which you love. Uh, and to follow your dreams and, and, to, and to do it courageously. And, and that is a process of, uh, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, a willingness to deal with our shadows and our weaknesses and our insecurities. And I deal with them every day, all day long. I'm constantly confronted, even at this place of like perceived success and thrive. I'm constantly confronted with my own insecurities, uh, my own doubts, my own fears, uh, and I have to constantly remind myself that, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. So many great people have come before us uh, and we can draw courage and conviction from those that have come from before us to really strike out in the things that we love and that we care for. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think has been the biggest lesson you've learned in 2016 so far? Like looking back on this year, does anything stand out? I think the the continued lesson for me of 2016 and just the journey of Thrive in general is, you know, it's it's so powerful to have great partners, to have people that you can just absolutely trust, uh, and it, you know, it requires giving up control in a certain way. Uh, but the the exercise of that and having the camaraderie and the support and the honesty and the trust 
uh, has been so powerful for our business. It is a very complex business that we're in, uh, and we have grown very, very quickly. And the only reason we've been able to do it is because we have a culture of trust and real support among uh, an incredible team of super talented people. Uh, and you know, it's only because we've been so focused on how do we absolutely bring the best people. And it means that you know, I bring in much more talented people than myself. And I might have like momentary like insecurity about what that means and what's my role. And I'm, I'm into it at the beginning and then I'm threatened by it later. And like, you kind of have to go through like, but that's like, if you want to build a great thing or do a great thing, whatever it is, uh, having great partners, great people to work with, uh, is an amazingly effective way to, to make it happen. Awesome. Uh, Thrive Market, where's the best place for people to, to go learn about, uh, all the cool stuff you do and, and your mission over there. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, on, on our website or, uh, thrivemarket.com. If you haven't, you, know, you can get all your favorite healthy food at 25 to 50% off. Uh, you know, you can, if you haven't bought from us before, you get a free jar of organic coconut oil with your first purchase. You, you know, we've got a great nice. Facebook and Instagram channel. Um, you know, we're, we're there and we need everybody's help. This is a movement. Like we are absolutely part of building a movement and we need everybody's help and uh, really appreciate your time uh, and uh, honor to be here with you. Yeah, it was a fun one, man. Thanks for coming on again. Always enjoy our yeah. chats about uh, the yeah, future buddy. and where this thing's going. Yeah, it re- really, just really appreciate it. Re- really appreciate your time. And uh, let's, let's, let's do it again in a few months. Awesome, man. Until then. All right. All right, buddy. Cheers. Gennar Lovelace, everybody. Great call. He was on two years ago, and we talked about a lot of other topics um, similar to this conversation. So if you want to go back in the archives, head over to paleohacks.com. Be sure you listen to that show. Or I guess you can type it in the search bar in iTunes, Gunnar Lovelace, that's G-U-N-N-A-R, Lovelace, uh, Paleohacks. It should pop right up. But last time on the show, I listened to it, uh, I don't know, about a week ago. And he went over the fact that the average vegetable travels something like 5,000 miles before it's consumed and how we're really bad at foreseeing far off events. And that's why we're okay with letting the environment kind of get polluted uh, currently to because we're bad at predicting outwards in the future. All right. And so... I was looking into this more and this whole like, why are we um, bad at foreseeing far out events? And I found some interesting research that I just haven't been able to really get out of my head the past week. And it's been really kind of eye opening to me about why we make bad decisions now that impact us in the future. This isn't some judgment. I mean, this is something we all do. I do this more than anyone probably. You know, I'm constantly doing some self-sabotage or things that aren't healthy for me. And so I found some insights that I just wanted to share at the end of this call because why not, all right? Three out of four Americans have less than $30,000 saved for retirement. And researchers found this um, this statistic, and they, they asked that question that we were just talking about. Why are we bad at saving for the future? If we plan on retiring, which many of us do, why do we not save more money? And so they used that question, and they took two different groups. They found these groups who just got a new job and were filling out their paperwork. So that 401k, how much do you want to save? Um, and they looked at that number. 
Now, before they ask the people, how much do you want to save monthly or annually for retirement, they showed the first group a picture of their current self, right? And they said, okay, how much do you want this person to save uh, for retirement? Now, that group had an average of $80 allocated a month towards their retirement out of their check. What they did with the other group that was so fascinating is they used uh, computer software or an app to project outward what that person would look like in 80 years' time. And they, they called that the me later group. So they showed the same, same question, same application. They said, here's you at age 80. How much money do you want to save? And that group saved an average of $172 for retirement. I mean, that's over double what the me now group saved. Just seeing what it's going to look like at 80 doubled, more than doubled the amount they were planning for. And that's kind of why we're bad off or bad seeing um, far off events is because it's not real to us. So when we can actually see a more real version of what we're going to look like down the road, okay, we'll change our actions in the present moment. So how does that apply to our whole health and wellness conversation? Um, two applications of that, I guess. You could do that and think about it for your health. Like, how do you want to feel? How do we want to feel at 80 years old? And um, are, are, is what we're doing currently going to get us there? And the second is, what do we want our planet to look like when we're 80 years old? And is what we're doing going to get us there? And I don't really know how we can take the planet and put it in an aging booth so we get a more realistic uh, viewpoint of it. But you can do that for yourself. I found a funny app. It's called Aging Booth. It's free on, on the Apple Store. And uh, it does that. It, it projects you outward 80 years. And it's kind of a shock when you see yourself at 80 years old or um, what at that app thinks you're going to look like 80 years old. Anyway, we'll wrap that up. That was kind of the motivational speech at the end of this call. Is um, Yeah, it's, it's cool that when we have real concrete evidence of what's going to happen in the future. We will change our actions in the present. PaleoHacks.com, of course, the place to go for the archives. Be sure you check out that previous show with Gunnar on um, about a year ago or two years ago before Thrive Market really even took off. Um, it was really fun talking to him on that one as well. ClarkDanger.com is where you can get the 11 questions to change your life forever free ebook I put out. If you want some questions, go more deeper in yourself. Um, these are the best 11 ones, I think so, that you can ask. I put them in a free ebook, 100% free. Head on over there and get it now. Social media, be sure you're following Paleo Hacks. That's at Paleo Hacks, one word, on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Anywhere, choose your favorite one, follow us there. And then at Clark Dangerous, if you want to get a hold of me on, uh, I'm really active on Snapchat. So pull out your phone right now. I know you got it. We all carry it around with us and type in at Clark Dangerous, O-U-S, and uh, snap me something funny. This week's review comes from Leah3. Hey, Leah. Um, she said, I would 100% recommend this podcast to people of all ages. I even show this show to my students in health classes, uh, relevant and interesting questions without getting too technical. Love the humor. Thank you so much, Leah. Uh, means a lot that you show it to your health class. That's crazy. Um, if you want to get your review read on air, 
leave us one over on the iTunes store. It takes about two minutes of your time. Yes, it's 100% free, of course, um, and it really helps out the show. So go over to iTunes, leave it there, and get it read on air. Ooh, that is it, my beautiful people, my paleo hackers. Next week, we got Jim Quick coming on to talk about remembering anything, hacking your memory. The week after that, we got Johnny Bowden making his return for the third time, claiming the record for most uh, returning guests spots. And he's talking about how eating butter can get you skinny. <laughs> then we got Diana Rogers after that talking about how to raise chickens in your backyard and simple DIYs you can do around your home for more sustainable uh, living. All right, that is it. Thank you so much for listening. I love each and every single one of you. I will see you next week.